On her way out, Joyce told me I needed to practice my dancing, I guess. I'm going to need to review my job description, if that's what's going to be involved, and maybe pay for some lessons. The Lord be with you. We human beings are such capable creatures. We're blessed with an aptitude for action and impact in the world. Look at what we as a species have accomplished in such a short space of time. Look at the arts and sciences, works of beauty and productivity. We're talented. We build, we create, we shape, we make things. The work of our hands can accomplish so much, especially when we team up and work together. You and I get to matter in the world. The choices we make, the things we do, they're for real. The Swedish uh, zoologist Carl Linnaeus famously named us Homo sapiens, wise people. What a fine name for such a beautiful species. And to a point, that's true. Among the creatures of the planet, humans are indeed gifted, blessed with the unique capacity and vision. The writer of Psalm 8 speaks to this when he says, he talks about the strange and wonderful thing it is to be creatures like us who occupy a cosmos like this one. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established What are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? And yet, you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. And you have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet. That's a part of the human story. Uniquely blessed creatures are we. But that's certainly not the whole picture, is it? For all our giftedness, we are also deeply flawed. To be human is to be intimately enmeshed in a great community of failure and error. Negligence and mistakes. Blunders, vices, meanness, self-interest. Our actions can have absolutely terrible consequences. Wise people? Really? Well, we're fools plenty of the time. Just look at what our species has managed to demolish and damage and poison in such a small span of time. These same hands can tear down and destroy so well, especially when we join forces especially when we name a common enemy. And the best of us, the very best of us, the smartest, the wisest, the brightest, the most capable, those people get it wrong all the time. We do our homework, or we don't do our homework. We ask questions, we navigate the world the best we can, we make our choices, sometimes profoundly impacting choices. And even our best efforts, our best intentions, so frequently 
find us stumbling into another difficult situation. These troubles often shape our personal journeys, our intimate private stories, sometimes embarrassing public stories, tales of disappointment, mourning, adventures, predicaments, nights of regret and fear, doubt and questions. Consequences. Wonder. Hope. Part of the genius of the Hebrew scriptures, part of what makes them such enduring and profound work, is their commitment to the chaotic and dangerous human element. Their rigorous attention to the detail in these stories. Read these ancient texts and you will find some graphic, shocking, vivid, and horrific accounts. Many of these stories definitely wouldn't qualify for a PG rating no matter what your Sunday school teacher told you. There is a raw and sometimes brutal honesty in the telling of the story of the children of Israel. They didn't sugarcoat the shared memory of their ancestors. They didn't edit out all those nasty bits. They kept the gross and offensive, as well as the intimate and private stories, embarrassing public stories. If you remember last week, we heard the story of Samuel hearing the voice of the Lord. He'd been hearing it his whole life. Because even the little boy, Samuel, was special. Actually, he was at home in the temple all the time, wearing those adorable little priest's robes his mom would make for him. Samuel, the little prophet, mentored and cared for by Eli, the high priest himself. The boy who heard the voice of the Lord in the night. The boy who answered, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Samuel's story, though, as it plays out, is really intense. All that childhood preparation was for a real purpose. He was the last of Israel's judges. He would oversee times of turmoil, transition. A lot of his life would be pretty busy, pretty messy. He was the prophet sent by God, a seer, an oracle of God's will. And while we're talking grim and nasty bits... He was also a gnarly Old Testament prophet who sometimes even carried a sword. The executioner, God's justice. Samuel didn't mess around. In 1 Samuel 16, we see one of these transition times. Your Bible probably gives us the heading, Samuel anoints David. But let's be clear, there is a lot more to the story. Samuel wasn't simply anointing a new king. This prophetic ceremony, complete with animal sacrifices, an oil of anointing, the gathering of Jesse's sons, a beauty contest for the best and brightest of Bethlehem, all of this pageantry and ceremony won't cover up the fact that Samuel was also effectively dethroning someone. This is a scary time. That's because Samuel had been through this once before. Saul, the tall and handsome one, 1 Samuel 9 tells us, there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he, and he stood head and shoulders 
above everyone else. The first time around, as kingmaker, another honest, earnest, blessed, and sincere effort, following the Lord's call, prophetically seeking out and anointing the perfect candidate, the leader of a people, king of Israel, Samuel, prophet of the Lord, listening to the God who speaks to him so closely. Finally, finding a chosen son, the son of God's anointing. But here we are, seven chapters later. And I've always felt a little bit bad for Saul. Saul, the person with all his failures, failures as a leader, failures as a king. Samuel is here again, but now he's with the sons of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, overseeing a do-over. This is the rejection of the current administration. This is plan B. Then the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king of Israel. Seems kind of harsh. I would think it's pretty reasonable that Samuel might grieve. Sad to see the day the dream died. Mourning the tragic figure of a man who was supposed to be the real deal. How many times in history has the great leader, God's man to lead us, the chosen one, the genius, the master, turned out to be a stinker? A phony, a fraud, a monster. But Samuel's obedient. The prophet does his thing and he performs his ceremony. He makes the sacrifice and he calls the trembling people together. He listens to the voice of the Lord. And with the benefit of an omniscient narrator, we hear his private commentary along the way. Oh my, no doubt, this handsome chap is going to be the one. But of course he's wrong. Completely off the mark, actually. And it's the guy nobody even thought to invite. The kid brother out in the field with the sheep. Not even on the roster. Not even invited to the party. Plan B, the start of a new thing, this next king of Israel... God is full of surprises. Just to be clear, plan B doesn't exactly go peachy keen either. It's not entirely a picnic. God's chosen this time, this time around, David, is in for a crazy and dangerous ride. Keep reading and you'll find that the David story includes all kinds of gritty details. Complete with embarrassing failures and horrible choices. There are passions and dreams. There's dancing. There's living. There's loving. There's wives and children and family. And there's some truly heartbreaking consequences. In the midst of all of this, this chaotic story, God is alive and on the move. Friends, Time and again, the message of Scripture is this. In the middle of the whole confusing mess, 
the frustration, the disappointment, the abiding failures, the human error, pride and stupidity, lack of insight or information, always, always the scriptures assure us of the patient presence of a loving God. Even when things look absolutely crazy, even when things are difficult or conflicted, when the human element overwhelms us, breaks our hearts, and disappoints us. Maybe you're waiting for the perfect venue, the concise ingredients for a life of faith and worship and service. Will you truly, truly, finally open your heart to God once you bear witness to the perfect sunset on a mountaintop as forest creatures gather around your feet in holy awe? Will you build or give or serve when you finally find the perfect congregation of enlightened souls who might join you as you bring to fruition holy and perfect work? I'm sorry, that's really not how it works. The venue is the life you live right now. The people in your life right now. As far as you're concerned, God is going to work with what he's got. A collection of flaws and beautiful dreams, gifts and abilities, packaged in an aging, sometimes frail, sometimes faltering body, and mixed right in with an assortment of regrets and mistakes and failures. Sometimes straight up terrible choices. Even more amazing, quite often, the people we didn't even think of, the people we didn't even think to think of, they're the ones who will surprise us. The man you wrote off as just another annoying know-it-all and grouch, who when you least expect for it, expect it, prays for you, blesses you, showers you with kindness and mercy, and opens up your heart. That woman you've been scared of for a real long time, and to be honest, you're pretty sure she doesn't even really like you, who turns out to be the prophet, the voice of God in your life. The teenager who you thought wasn't even paying attention, who blows your mind when she speaks words of hope and truth. Friends, be blessed. Do not be afraid. The Lord is with you. You share a story with flawed and fumbling characters such as these. Wise humans. Foolish humans. Blessed humans. Amen.